This morning I'll be reading John chapter 6, verses 34 through 42. This can be found on pages 944 and 945 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. Again, that is John 6, verses 34 through 42. Then Jesus said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And they said to them, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should not lose anything, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at that last day. Then the Jews then complained about him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then, he says, I have come down from heaven? It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. As we can continue our series of Immersed into Christ this month, we look forward to our seventh lesson this morning. Next Sunday morning will be our eighth lesson in this study. Tonight we'll do a study of a biblical study of suicide, and we'd invite you to come back for that. Also, many of you, next Sunday morning will... Well, Sunday will be away. It's Memorial Day weekend. We have a lot of folks that travel. We have about 150 uh, that camp together. And so we just uh, wish you well. Be careful. Uh, Use that time of worship together at the campground. It's always exciting to hear not only how many are together, but of the guests and the visitors that you invite that are also at the campground to come in and worship with you. And it's exciting to think that uh, we go on mission trips all over. And that, in a sense, is a type of mission trip, a way to reach out uh, to those around and uh, have a worship service to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And and so we wish you well this next uh, weekend in those particular endeavors. Also, we want to remind you that the single mom car care clinic has been rescheduled. It's June the 4th. There are postcards scattered throughout the foyer. And we encourage you uh, to pick up a few of these and take them to individuals that uh, to single moms and that could use this. It would be a benefit to them. And it would be an opportunity for them to have their oil changed, to have some mechanics just give a, a, a look over their car and give them any suggestions about the care of their car. And then also have the car detailed. And uh, it, we've done this the past few years, and it has been a wonderful blessing uh, to these women. Uh, with, with almost tears in their eyes, they thank us over and over at the end of of uh, their time with us. It's a wonderful time to build relationships. It's a wonderful time to build relationships with the children as they're here for about an hour as all these things are being done to their vehicle. And so if you want to help in this in any way, uh, Brandon Adcock is leading this. And if uh, you want to invite others, please be thinking about that. We want this not only to help our own single mothers, but we want it to be a tremendous outreach as well. 
He's considered one of the greatest scam artists of all times. He's born in 1890. His name is Victor Lustig. You see, it is said that he could sell the world. Well, maybe you find that hard to believe, but would you find it hard to believe he really did sell the Eiffel Tower? I mean, he really didn't sell it. It wasn't his to sell, but somebody paid him for it. Isn't that amazing? In 1925, he was reading the newspaper articles and realized that there was a lot of stink being stirred about the cost of maintaining the Eiffel Tower. And so he went into a nice hotel and he called five of the leading scrap metal men in the area to come in for a top secret meeting. Because after all, it had to be kept top secret to keep down the public uproar that was going to take place when the Eiffel Tower began to be disassembled. You see... He offered it to the highest bidder. They only had a week to bid. While he was in that meeting, he already targeted what was going to be the weak prospect for him. His name was uh, Adrian Poisson. He was a French man. And, and he recognized that this was a man that was wanting to become an up-and-coming businessman. And so after only two days, he pressured him to say, what's your bid? I think I can get it for you. And then whenever the man started to think, maybe it might not be everything it's cracked up to be, he then did what all the government officials of that day and time did. He bribed him. He asked him for even more than what it was because after all, he's going to have to grease the palm of the government official, which he is presenting himself to be, the government official if the deal was going to be done. Well, at that point, Adrian thought this must be the real deal. And he gave him a suitcase full of cash that would be equivalent to about a million dollars today. And he bought 7,000 ton of scrap metal known as the Eiffel Tower. He was so embarrassed whenever Victor sailed away in an ocean liner, he did not report it to anyone because he realized he had been made the fool. Perhaps not in the exact same way, But isn't it amazing to think that when John was writing the Gospel of John, there were people that placed Jesus in a very similar category? They thought the cause of Christianity was irrelevant because they believed that the leader of Christianity, Jesus Christ, was a fraud. Victor had presented himself in Europe alone as 22 different aliases. Anyone that knew him well knew you couldn't trust him. That's what people actually thought of Jesus Christ. Oh, he's a man that went around and said he was the Son of God, but I can tell you this, he wasn't the Son of God. And so John writes a gospel. And as we today will be studying in this gospel to see what is it about Jesus and what is it about the bold declarations that he would make about himself. Friends, Either he was a man who spoke truth and had great power and authority, or he was a lunatic to claim the things that he claimed about himself. And today, I'd like to remind you of the passage that we have gone to a few times to start our lessons. I'd like to take you back to John, the 20th chapter. Most of our passages will have references on screen, but yet we'll be reading some verses before and after the references on screen. So you might want to take your Bible and open up to the Gospel of John, beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Bible's in your pews. It'll be around page 962 is where we're going to begin at this moment. 962, I want to remind you of a passage in 30 and 31 where John told us why he wrote this gospel. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's not a fraud. He's the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in His name. As we have emphasized over and over, this gospel is not just written so people can have an intellectual belief in Jesus Christ. It's written so that we would have a belief with such strong conviction that we would submit our life to God and we would live eternally so that believing we may live. John accomplished this through several means. Back recently, we looked at the seven signs that he used to prove that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And this morning, I'd like for us to look at the seven I Am statements that John records that Jesus stated I want to emphasize that. It's Jesus that stated these I am statements. And it's the ones that John chose to record. Seven signs, seven I am statements. And one of them we've already had so capably read for us back in John the sixth chapter. If you want to be turning back to John the sixth chapter where Jesus said, I am the bread. When you think of every civilization, one of the substance of every civilization's diet is bread. Bread has sustained the life of mankind since the very beginning of time. And when we think about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, what a powerful statement. Now this statement is made, of course, in a greater context than just this statement. The day before this, Jesus had taken a little boy's lunch. And you remember he took some fish and bread And he multiplied it in a very miraculous way. That was one of the great signs that's recorded in the Gospel of John. And he fed 5,000 people with this miraculous bread. That night, as the sun set, everyone dispersed. And Jesus walked on water to the other side of the sea. Another sign. And the next morning, the people walked around the sea. And they gathered with Jesus. You want to know why? You say, they wanted to hear some of his great teachings. No, he called them out on it. He knew that they didn't come over to hear the great teachings. As a matter of fact, there in verse 30, they ask him what sign they're going to perform. And you say, oh, they wanted to see a powerful miracle. Well, they even go beyond that. They didn't just want to see a miracle. You know what they wanted to do? They wanted to eat a miracle. They enjoyed that bread that Jesus made yesterday. And see, this sign in their mind was not an isolated case. They remember back in the heritage of their people, you remember that? where bread was given day after day after day. And they're thinking in their mind, this man has to be of God. And we know what God has done for our people in the past. In the past, he's given manna in the wilderness day after day after day. And so they bring out the fact that that bread had been given from heaven in previous times. And so Jesus addresses in 32, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. You see the request? Okay. So it wasn't Moses that provided the manna. We'll believe that. It was God that provided the manna. Okay, here's what we want you to do, Jesus. Give us bread always. Friends, you talk about a handout. Do you realize what they're saying? They're saying, Jesus, we will walk around close to you for the rest of our life if every day you provide bread for us. And Jesus uses this as a powerful opportunity to teach and to try to convict. 
And as the rest of this story unfolds, we find out that many of them do not want to be convicted. They just wanted literally a free lunch. And many of them turned their back on Jesus. But notice Jesus' powerful teaching here. I want you to tie in your mind in the text there. See, at the end of 34, they said, give us this bread always. And look at 35. Jesus said to them, it's on the screen there. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. What's the point? He's the bread always. He is not just any bread. He's the bread of life. Now I want you to notice that all of these I am statements are going to tie in not just with the belief in Jesus, but it's a belief that Jesus is the one who gives life. He is the bread of life. And He can give it always. Whoever comes and eats and partakes of Him will never hunger again. Friends, if we truly understand Jesus, we're not spending our time searching Eastern religions. We're not searching human philosophies. We're not looking to whatever the latest fad that's said in religion. We understand Jesus correctly. We understand He is the bread of life always. We don't have to turn anywhere else. Now we know from the text that was already read this morning, that was offensive to them in 41. Uh, Then the Jews complained about him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. You see, they were fine as long as they were going to be given physical bread to eat. But whenever the message became spiritual, a conviction in their life, they didn't want a conviction in their life. They just wanted a meal. Friends, all throughout the New Testament, even as after the church began, we see a struggle with mankind to want to make everything about God a physical blessing to us. We don't have time to develop this point, but I'll simply ask you this if you want to take and chew and meditate upon this. Do you follow God because He is God and the eternal life that He offers? Or do you follow God because of the blessings that He's brought into your life? Most of us here in this room know God well enough to say God has been good to us. God has blessed us richly. But now the question is, do we follow God because of His blessings? Or do we follow Him because He is the eternal God? He is the bread of life. If Jesus or God never offered you one more earthly blessing, He's still worthy of our discipleship. Why do we follow Him? A powerful example here were individuals that would follow Him day after day as long as physically it was appealing. When we look at 48, He said to them again, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat and not die. He offers something that sustains us for an eternity. When we look to the second I am statement, we see Jesus saying, I am the light. Look, if you will, to John the 8th chapter. In John the 8th chapter, this too, in the way that it is recorded in the Gospel of John, is closely tied to another event. This event is when the adulterous woman, or at least she was being accused of being an adulterous woman, was caught in the act and she was brought out before a group and they were putting Jesus to the test to see if he would join in stoning her. And instead, 
Jesus bends down and He writes in the dirt. And we don't know what He was writing. But then He urged the one who was innocent to cast the first stone. And beginning at the oldest down to the youngest, they departed. And then Jesus looked up at her and says, Where are your accusers? Where are the ones that want to stone you? And she says, None of them are here. And so He told her, Go and sin no more. Now the very next verse that John records is verse 12 of the 8th chapter. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of what? We're back to life again. Have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of life. What is light? What is it to be enlightened? We know what it is to physically be in the dark. We know what it is to to be in the dark intellectually. And we know how dangerous both can be. We need to see the old idea that ignorance is bliss just is not so when it comes to our spiritual life and the dealings of our soul. And here we see how powerful is enlightenment. Let this one sink down into our heart. Feel this one as you feel compassion for this woman. Do you realize if Jesus would not have shared enlightenment at this moment, this woman would have probably been stoned to death? She is alive at the time this is being said. Why? Because Jesus is the light. Do you realize that right now, If Jesus would have come again yesterday at 6 o'clock, as He was scheduled to do according to some people's schedule, and, and of course we know that no man knows the day or the hour, but what if Jesus would have come yesterday at 6 o'clock? Do you realize we could go around this room and nobody would be in a gray area? Everybody here, you would either be lost or saved, condemned or living an eternity... Wait, what did I say? Living... And eternity with God. And you say, what's the difference? Everyone that is lost is not enlightened by Jesus Christ in the way they believe and are convicted and live. Everybody that is alive spiritually is enlightened. They have learned the will of Jesus Christ. They live their life according to the will of Jesus Christ. Friends, We don't have time to heavily develop this, but I'd like to show you a prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians, the first chapter. And I'd like for you to notice the word enlightenment. This is what is meant when Jesus says that He is the light of life. Paul had a prayer for these Christians that he loved dearly at Ephesus. And in the first chapter in verse 15, and we don't have a slide on this, it's 1038, the Bible that's in your pews, 1038. He says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now pause there. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I love the fact that you're faithful and I just want you to know that I've been praying for you and I don't ever stop praying for you. Okay, Paul, what do you pray for them? Now notice what he prays for them. Verse 17 continues this prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He wants them to know about the Godhead. Why? 
Here it is, verse 18. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened. If we know Jesus and we walk in the light, what are our eyes going to know? He lists three things here. That you may know what is the hope of the calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of the power toward us who believe according to the work of His mighty power? And the prayer continues. But just right here, when we take a biblical account to say, what is it that we should be enlightened to? And Paul says, let me tell you what I pray that Christians are enlightened to. I want them to be enlightened to what is the hope of your calling. Friends, there is going to be a day of judgment. There will be. Are you enlightened? Do you know the hope you're calling? Do you know the inheritance that's waiting for those who are enlightened by Jesus Christ? Do you know the power of His greatness or the greatness of His power to be able to resurrect from the dead and give us, who are otherwise dead, gives us life. He is the light of life. But then we go back to John and we see a third I am statement in the 10th chapter of John. And it's where Jesus tells a short story that they would have understood very well. As a matter of fact, some translations actually call this an illustration. And the illustration is that there's a sheepfold that at the end of a day, the, the sheep are taken out of the pastures and they're placed in, in a safe place for nighttime. And inside the sheepfold, there'd only be one door. Some historians say that the shepherd would lay down and he would sleep in front of the door so as to know that no one had come in to disturb the sheep. Now there would be those that would try to disturb the sheep. And he says in verses 1 and 2, those would be the ones that would try to go over the fence and they're known as robbers or thieves. So see, we have three characters in this short illustration. We have the sheep. We have the shepherd of the sheep that sleeps at the door. And then we have thieves or robbers that want to hurt or destroy the sheep. Now, it's with that story being told that we read verse 6. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Now, I suggest to you that it wasn't that they didn't understand how that pertained to sheep. They would have known that well. I would think when he says they didn't understand, what they're saying there is they didn't understand the spiritual lesson that was coming out of this. They understood the story. They didn't understand what it was illustrating. And so notice what Jesus said it illustrated. In verse 9, he says, here's your I am statement. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy I have come that they might have, what? Life. And that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone wants to be saved, I'm the access. I am the way that they can enter. Have you ever been to a building and then when you park, you can't find where to enter? That happened to me just last week. I parked at a church building I'd never been before. And it seems like those are always the hardest buildings to figure out which door you're supposed to enter, right? And, and so, you know, you're doing the old walking around and then finally you're just hoping you see somebody or see some kind of hint and then you see somebody walking. Okay, so that's how you enter. Have you ever been locked out? 
You ever been locked out of your house? You ever been locked out of a building and, and it's pouring down raining or it's freezing cold or, or for some other reason you really, really wanted to have access inside that building? Can you imagine the second coming of Jesus Christ? What are you going to want? You're going to want access into heaven. You're going to want to be able to pass through the door. You're going to want Jesus to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and literally usher you in to meet the Father. Friends, that's what we want. And Jesus is saying, I am the door. He uses words that reminds us of, of the 23rd Psalm. You can pass through and you can have pasture. He restores our soul. And I shall dwell, I shall live in the house of the Lord forever. But you see in this parable, he's not only the door. Look at the very next word. Look at verse 11. I'm sorry, the next uh, verse. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Now we see the fourth I am. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Why? Because he wants the sheep to live. Atonement. He gives his life as a substitution in place of us. Otherwise, we're dead. He gives his life so that we can live. And you remember, later in this same chapter, he makes it very clear in 17 and 18, no man takes his life, but he lays it down himself. Why? Because he cares for the sheep. He knows the sheep by name. He is the good shepherd. Why? He wants us to have life. As a matter of fact, it could not be more clearly illustrated than the great sign of Lazarus' resurrection. Look, if you will, to John, the 11th chapter. You remember that Mary and Martha sinned for Jesus, but by the time he comes there, Lazarus has been buried four days. He's talking to Mary and then to Martha, and as he talks to them, obviously they're very upset. And so he told Martha in 23, your brother will rise again. And she makes a great statement of faith knowing that there's a resurrection at the last day in verse 24. That's a great statement of faith. But then in 25, notice what Jesus said to her. He didn't say, I can resurrect. He didn't say, I'll be there on that great and final day of resurrection. Notice how powerful it is when he says, I am the resurrection. But he didn't stop there. I am the resurrection and the life. See how every one of these I am statements are going back to why John says he wrote the gospel, believing that you may live. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she, she cries out, and I don't doubt her faith right here. She cries out, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. But then you remember, down in the same chapter whenever he tells them to roll the stone away she's the one who says wait Lord he's been dead four days there's going to be a stench wait a minute I thought you just said that you believed I was the resurrection and now you're implying that you don't believe I'm the resurrection and so notice his answer to her in verse 40 when she made that statement Jesus said to her did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? What was Jesus saying? 
Friends, I don't think that he was down and out on Martha. I don't think he was ready to cast Martha out as an unfaithful individual. I think he was trying to help Martha see what all of us needs to see. And that is, he really is the resurrection. We look at someone that has, has passed away and we do not expect to see them rise four days later. Oh, we might hope. But then someone says, that is the beauty of the final resurrection. Who can do that? Jesus. Do you want to be raised in life? He is the one that can raise us to live with the Father forever. Or on that final day of judgment, will we be raised to be dead spiritually? He is the resurrection and the life. Now this brings us to the six that we'll spend very little time on because we studied this in depth last week. In John the 14th chapter, he spoke of himself being the way. You remember? It was a sad night for them. He was trying to comfort them. He was going to be betrayed and arrested this particular night. And so to comfort them, he told them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he even told them, if it were not so, I would have told you. And then Thomas speaks up to say, okay, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how could we know the way? And Jesus answered him to say, I, in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now notice this. The direct question was, how can we know the way? And the answer was, I am the way. But then to make it a little bit clearer, he says, I am the way I am the truth. He's already said back in verse 2, if it were not so, I would have told you. And now he's emphasizing again. Do you realize what Jesus is doing here? He's reminding them. I know some of the things I'm telling you may be difficult to believe. Trust me. It's true. I am the way. I am the truth. And what else? With each one of these, I am the life. He's not the way to just something good. He's not the way to just a good religion. He's not the way to just a better life than without Jesus. Listen, brethren. He is the way to eternal life. And that brings us to the final one, and it's John the 15th chapter, and it's the vine. Jesus is the vine. And look in verse 5 where he says, I am the vine. They would have understood this so well with, with vineyards being all around their areas. Some of them probably would have owned vineyards. And, and he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me. Pause there for a moment. He, he who does what? Abides. What is abide? It's, it's where someone stays. It's where someone lives. I know we may not use it real commonly today, but, but it would be proper grammar to, for, for you or I to stand inside our home and say, this is our abode. We abide here. The Lord is saying, look, I'm the vine. And off of the vine come branches. And off the branches comes fruit. And he says, in order for you to be able to bear fruit, you're going to have to abide you're going to have to make your home, what are we talking about? Life. A branch that is alive bears fruit. 
A branch that is dead does not bear fruit. Well, what's the difference in life and death? When the branch is separated from the vine, it's dead. It bears no fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. And we have to abide with Jesus. And when we abide with Jesus, he says, it bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. The life, back in John 10 and 10, you remember we read it, he says, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. That fruit, finding the purpose for our life. I'd like for us to close this and wrap it all up. And, and brethren, there are so many passages we could go to in the Gospel of John that talks about life and believing. I chose John 8 and 24. Maybe there was a better one to choose. But as we think about our soul's condition today, we think about the bold I am statements that Jesus made. Jesus said, I am. And He tied those I am statements to bold illustrations, if you will, of life. And now He looks at individuals that are doubting who He really is. And so He says to them in verse 24 of John the 8th chapter, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, and you'll notice in your Bible it says, I am He, and that He is italicized. In other words, it's added just to make the text more clear. But after you and I today have spent time studying the text clearly, we understand why it just said, I am. You see, He literally is saying here, if you do not believe that I am you will die in your sins. That I am what? And John would say, I've showed you who the I am is. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of life. I'm the door you can pass through and live. I'm the good shepherd that laid down his life so you can live. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. And you can be a branch and you can abide. You can live. You can have life with me. And Jesus says it's this simple. You can believe that I am He. I am. You can believe that I am He. And you can live. If you do not believe that I am, you'll die. What is death? Death is a separation. We either are with God because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and believing we've obeyed Him, and we live because of His grace, because of His mercy, because of His great love. Or we don't believe and live, and we're separated. We're dying. Friends, there are people all over the U.S., that were nervous yesterday. There's probably someone in this room that was nervous yesterday. You probably watched the clock yesterday afternoon. And if not, there were thousands around the U.S. that did. And you know what the reality is? Jesus didn't come yesterday. The other reality is, He is coming. 
And we'll either be alive spiritually or we won't be. And it will all depend upon what you do with Jesus. He's not a character to be studied in history. He is God to be served throughout eternity. And this morning, if He's not your Lord and your God, can we help you with that? Are you ready to be immersed into Christ? Or do you need to be restored? Whatever we can do to help you, come as we stand and as we sing.